Acts chapter 3, verse 19, you can follow along in the Believer's Fellowship app as well, says this. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and we, he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read a few verses there as well. Starting in verse 51, Paul says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of the eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. And our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Jesus, would you bless the reading of your word and help me to teach your word and help us to receive your word. Thank you, God, that we have a glorious hope in eternity with you. We thank you for that and help us just look to your word for wisdom and guidance and knowledge about what things you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Um, Today, I'm beginning a a new preaching series uh, entitled Rethinking Eternity. Rethinking Eternity. And in this series, we're going to tackle some of the fact and fiction and confusion that surrounds what we believe and what the Bible says about heaven, about hell, about life after death, and about eternity. The reality is, is that even among seasoned followers of Christ, people who have been loving Jesus for a long time and been in church for a long time, there is a lot of confusion about what happens when this mortal life we're living right now is over. And and to be honest, sometimes our Christian lingo doesn't help. Sometimes we get uh, twisted ideas and uh, 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 bad theology And we even say things that we don't realize what they mean when we say them because that's just what we've always heard. That's what grandma said happened. That's what what they said at so-and-so's funeral. And that's just what I believe. And, 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 And we get things kind of mixed up and not really consider what it is that we're saying. And it's even true sometimes that, um, our, our, our music will, will mess us up with that. Sometimes we, we see those preachers that sell books or tapes on TV and they have their huge charts and timelines. Y'all seen those guys with the big charts and timelines that are talking all about eternity? And, and not all of that stuff is bad. There's some good stuff out there that you can get. But, but sometimes what, what they teach really isn't Bible. And it's just their chart that they got. And I don't want to be... Cl- claim to be smarter than any of those guys and there's there's a lot of good stuff out there but the problem is i think that there's so much out there that sometimes we have a hard time 
deciphering what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's not. There, you know, like I, I was thinking to this week about some popular books that came out like when I was a teenager and in college. There was that book, I put those up there, um, That Heaven is for Real book. Some of y'all probably read that. Maybe you did. Nothing wrong with it. I'm not, I'm not picking on it, okay? But the, another popular one was 23 Minutes in Hell. Supposedly this guy died on the table or something and and he said he went to hell and had an... I'm not doubting his encounter, but I just want to line his encounter up with what the Bible says. You, you know what I'm saying? And so there, there's, there's, there's confusion. What, what do we do with all this stuff? And does this kind of stuff line up with the Bible? They're, they're those good old songs we sang in church. Hymns like, I'll fly away. And when the roll is called up yonder. And I'm not picking on those songs I love those songs. We sing those songs here, but sometimes we don't really know what we're singing and what, that, what the language behind some of those old hymns and songs really means. And then there's the secular music we listen to. You know, uh, you know our, that old uh, 90s country song, uh, there's holes in the floor of heaven, you know, and she's, and their tears are raining down. Y'all didn't know I could sing, did you? <laughs> And then, you know, the Kenny Chesney, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Don't act like y'all don't know that song. <laughs> I know what radio station y'all are listening to. Or the movies we watch. Grew up, I loved Angels in the Outfield when I was a kid. You know, and it's a wonderful life. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings, and you, the angel's got to earn his wings, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. They're not bad. That's a good movie to watch. It's got a lot of good, even morals and lessons in that movie, but it's not Bible. And we got to be careful that we don't mix up what we watch or what we listen to with what God's word has said. Then there's the religious ideas out there that, you know, the Hindu ideas of reincarnation and karma and however you live in this life, you'll be reborn into another life. And if you, if you live good, then when you, in your next life, you'll be rich. But if you live bad, you might come back as a cockroach, you know, those different kinds of things. And uh, then there's right now, young people, especially there's this thing called the deconstruction movement. And it started out with good intentions. They were wanting to untangle Christian faith from American politics and all of the junk that goes on in the world and what's really Christian faith. But but some of those deconstruction folks, they threw the baby out with the bathwater and they just have left the word of God behind and they left Jesus behind and whatever feels good to you, that's what you should do. And then there's the concept of universalism. There is no hell. There is no judgment of sin. And, and you know, just live how you want to and God's going to work it all out at the end. There, there's just so much out there because every human being for all of human history, we've had this one thing in common. We've had death in common and the mystery of what lies on the other side of death. All of us think about that. All of us wonder. It doesn't matter what religion you are. doesn't matter what culture you are. doesn't matter what language you speak. We all have that question in common. There's just so much out there, so many ideas, so many books, so many movies. And we can get completely bombarded by all of this information and these ideas and these uh, these uh, theories that it can become difficult to discern what's just a cute fictitious story that's maybe harmless and or what is an absolute lie and what is sometimes intentionally uh, perpetuated in order to mislead people we just need to be careful about that so my goal with this series is not to tell you anything new my goal is in this series, is to point us all back to this book, 
What does God's word say about eternity? And what did the earliest Christians who were alive when this book was written, what did they believe about heaven, about hell, and about eternal life? So here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks, and maybe you've already seen it on social media or whatever, but you're going to help me preach because we all have questions. And I'm not going to claim to have the answer, but I'll do the research for you in the book and I'll come back with an answer. And so if you have, and, and don't say, oh, I don't have any questions. You know, well, yeah, you do, because I've sat with you after a loved one died and I've heard the questions. So you do have questions and I want to help address them because, and you say, well, I'll, I'll work that on my own. I don't want to ask that question, but here's the thing. Your question is probably very similar to somebody else's question. And so I want you to send them to me. You can go in the app and send them. You can write them down on a piece of paper, drop them in the offering, hand it to me after service. You can, but if you do this code thing here, or you do it in the app, it'll come right to my email. I'll work on it. And then even in the next few weeks, you can send one live. And I'll answer, I'll, I'm going to take time at the end of every message next week and the next couple of weeks to just answer things. And, and if I don't have the answer, say, I'll get back to you next week. I'm going to go look that up. I'm going to go research that for you. But if you have a question, if things, something you've always wondered, or maybe there's a Bible text that you're like, well, what does that really mean? Or, or this is something that troubles me, or maybe it's a specific, you know, my so-and-so, you know, passed away. And what about this? And how does that, I want to help you be able to look to God's word for the answer, not my opinion. I want to do my best to filter out my opinions and just go with what the Bible says. And so do that for me this week. Help me preach. Can you do that? Because I know you got questions. Don't act like you don't because you, you'll call me later and ask the question. But I want to do a public thing. I won't embarrass you and say who asked the question. But I want to do a public thing because other people have questions too. Amen? So that's, that's how you can help me this week. Today's message, though, is, is really just an introduction. I'm probably not going to get into a whole lot of specifics today. I just want to lay the groundwork for what we believe as Bible-believing Christians about eternal life. Um, and actually today, I want to start at the end. I want to start at the end of our Christian hope. What, what, is, the, what is the ultimate goal? What, what, is, what are we all working toward and what are we all moving toward as followers of Christ? And I'm going to say something that initially is going to sound shocking. And it's going to be very different than maybe what you've ever heard before. But give me a minute. Don't walk out on me, okay? Give me just a minute because I'm going to explain what I'm about to say. But you need to understand this. If you don't get anything out of today other than this, I want you to get this. Listen to this. The great hope of the Christian faith is not that we go to heaven when we die. Don't walk out. The great hope of the Christian faith is not that we get to go to heaven when we die. Instead, if by heaven we mean some sort of far off distant place, some otherworldly place, some outer body, some spiritual existence, that idea is very common among Christians, but it's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible goes much further than talking about us leaving earth one day so that we can go live somewhere else for all of eternity with God in some kind of spiritual experience away from this world. Instead, the Bible has a very different idea about eternity. In fact, the last two chapters of the Bible are not 
about us leaving earth to go to heaven, the last two chapters in, book, in the book of Revelation is about heaven coming down to earth and heaven and earth meeting together and joining together as one with God as our ruler and our king here in what the scripture calls new creation. New creation. So, in, so we're not... The goal is not to get out of here and never come back as a Christian. The goal is to go be with the Lord and then be part of what God is going to do in the last days when he makes and recreates his new heavens and new earth. Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? Is that just rocking anybody's world for a minute here? Like, wait a minute. I thought grandma and me were just going to be up there, you know, like, hold on a minute. Just hold on. I promise you what the Bible says about eternity is way better than what maybe you've heard in a movie or you've read in some other book. It's way better what God's going to do. Just hold on. Keep your seatbelt on because God is about to show you he has great things in store for us in eternity. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the concepts of heaven and hell and all that we mean and what we talk about when we say those words and we talk about those places. But today, I want to go for the big picture. I want to go for the end in sight. We're looking at the ultimate goal and the hope of our Christian faith for eternity. And in the Bible, listen, there are two great promises that God gives us about new creation, about eternity, and that is restoration and resurrection. Those are, our two, uh, th- those are our two great promises that we're going to look at today, and that's what our two texts in the scripture I read today were. Let's go back to the first one, the promise of restoration. The promise of restoration. In Acts chapter 3, I want you to replay this episode. Actually, last week I preached from Acts chapter 2, so let's just kind of re- look at the background. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been resurrected. He's about to ascend into heaven and go and be with the Father. And he says, he gathers his disciples together and he tells them, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And he says, go, but before you go, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and equip you and empower you to do the work I've called you to do. That's Acts chapter one. Acts chapter two, they're waiting and the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and they're empowered with the, with the Holy Spirit. Spirit, and they go out, and that first day, 3,000 people get saved. They've already made a dent for the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 3, the very next chapter, Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, they're on their way into the temple to worship, and they're stopped at the gate by a crippled man begging for money. And instead of money, Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man gets healed. He had been crippled from birth. He had been lame from birth. And he jumps up and he starts running through the temple, leaping and shouting. And that draws a crowd. And everybody comes to see what all the commotion is. And through this man jumping and shouting, Peter gets an opportunity. 
Because then everybody's wondering, why is this man that we've seen every day at the temple gate all of a sudden running and shouting and leaping? And Peter stands up and says, I can tell you exactly how Jesus healed this man. Jesus, the one you crucified, has been resurrected and he healed this man. And he says, by his resurrection... Jesus has initiated the kingdom of God and new creation has begun in Jesus Christ. So Peter preaches the message and then he gives the altar call because every good preacher is going to give an altar call. And he says, in verse 19, he says, repent. Because of everything Jesus has done and because Jesus died and resurrected, you, you crowd need to repent. That means to turn your life around. It means to stop thinking one way and stop walking one way and go a different direction. Repent from the way you're going and begin to turn and start following Jesus. He says, repent of your sins, turn to God so that your sins can be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus the Messiah, for he, Jesus, must remain where? In heaven until the time, listen, for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Are you seeing the flow of what's happening? People are getting saved, and Peter does not say, you need to repent so you can go to heaven one day. He says, repent, because God is getting ready to restore all things, not just in heaven, not just in your personal life. All things are going to be restored, all of creation, when he returns. Here's what Peter said. This Jesus you killed, he has been resurrected back to life, and his resurrection was the beginning of this great restoration. Everything, listen to me, is different now because of what Jesus has done. And this new creation, while it, it has begun in Christ, in the resurrection, it's one day going to be completed in what Peter says is the great restoration of all things. And he says this restoration has been foretold by prophets all the way back before Jesus ever came. In the Old Testament, Jesus is how God has chosen to fulfill the word of the prophets from long ago. And Peter goes on. He talks about those Old Testament prophets in Acts chapter 3. He mentions Moses. He mentions the prophet Samuel. He mentions the great father of the faith, Abraham. And he's telling this very Jewish audience who knows who Moses is. They know who Samuel is. They know who Abraham is. He says, all the prophets that y'all learned about as babies, all the Bible stories that your mom and dad taught you when you were children, everything in the Hebrew Bible, everything God promised to our ancestors, God is now fulfilling and completing through this Messiah named Jesus. But he's not done yet. Because Peter, he says, the resurrected Jesus, he remains in heaven for now until the final restoration of all things. And then right through the New Testament, 
all the way through the earliest Christians, they expanded on this idea of what God is going to do in this great restoration of all things, this great promise we have. They use different wording for it, but they all talked about it. Ephesians chapter one, Paul says that one day God's gonna sum up all things in Christ. In other words, he's gonna put it all back together. And if Colossians chapter one, Paul says this, he says that through Christ, God is going to reconcile all things to himself, making peace by his blood shed on the cross. And then those last two chapters of the Bible, John in Revelation 21 and 22, he talks about and sees these new heavens and new earth coming together. And Peter calls it a new heavens and new earth where justice will dwell. And 1 Corinthians tells us that one day God will overcome every power which destroys and every power that has corrupted life and in his good creation and eventually God will be all in all. Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 21 says, in this great restoration of all things, all of creation will be, I love this, set free from its slavery to decay and death to share the liberty of the glory of God's children. The New Testament is saying one day, everything that involves death, everything that involves destruction, everything that involves corruption, everything that involves evil, everything that involves darkness, all of it, God is going to set right. That is the great restoration. One of the Old Testament prophets put it this way, Joel chapter 2. He says this. I know this is a lot of scripture. It's in your notes. You don't have to turn to everyone. I'm going to follow along, but just listen. Receive this word. God promises in Joel chapter 2, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wonderfully with you. And my people will never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Have you ever lived in shame? Have you ever lived in guilt? Have you ever lived under condemnation? God says one of these days, shame will not even be in your vocabulary. One of these days, it's all going to be wiped away. It's all going to be restored to you. And then look in Revelation at the end of the book. Chapter 21, verse 3. John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. He has a vision of heaven. He says, I heard this voice from the throne. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Watch this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, how he knows that's Jesus, said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write it down, sign the check. It's as good as done. These words are trustworthy and true. Those old, knee, old knees, they're going to be made new. <laughs> those, those creaky joints, they're going to be made brand new. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. So here's what I want you to understand that the scripture is teaching. The scripture, this is important, does not teach us that Jesus came to help us escape from this world. 
does not teach that, oh, we're just, we're just going to get out of here. It's so bad here, we're going to get out. Instead, the scripture teaches that Jesus came to redeem and restore this world. And his followers, as his followers, our future hope and joy is that we get to be a part of what God is doing to redeem and restore this world. Everything that we believe about heaven, everything we believe about hell, about the afterlife, about the end times, the rapture, the tribulation, the antichrist, all those things that they make the big charts for, everything about that All of it flows out of this one truth that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to redeem and restore. And as his followers, our future eternity looks like a redeemed and restored and renewed creation where God is king and we are his people and he restores everything back to the same status it had in Genesis chapter 1 when God created looked at it and said, that's good. That's our future eternity. For God to look at everything he created, to look at your life, to look at my life, to look at our family, to look at this community, to look at this region, to look at this earth that he created and be able to look at it and say, yeah, that's good. That's how I wanted it from the very beginning. That is our great hope as believers. So let's make this personal. What does this final restoration of all things mean for you in your life? As a follower of Jesus, It means God will restore everything that your own sin has cost you. He will restore everything that my sin has cost me. This great restoration that I have to look forward to in eternity means God will restore everything Satan has stolen from you. Everything. Just think about the losses you've experienced in life. Maybe it was your mess up, or maybe it was somebody else. God's going to restore it. He's going to make it right. God will restore anything that death has cheated out of you. That loved one that died too young. That miscarriage. That, that parent that died when you were a child. God's going to make it right in his new kingdom he will redeem every hurt and every illness and every ache and pain some people one of my first questions when i get to see the lord is why he let it happen this way but some people never get healed some people they even it's not even that they don't live long they live a long life with chronic pain and illness and suffering and i don't understand all of that But one day, he's going to redeem and restore every hurt and every illness and every pain. And one day, he will mend every broken heart. One day, when you look back in eternity at what you experienced in this life, you're going to say, yeah, that hurt then. But wow, look at how God has healed me. And look at how God has restored my heart and restored my life. 
This is the great hope of eternity for you. He is going to restore all things. These are God's promises for you and your life. If you're a believer, this is your hope. That's better than just sitting on a cloud in heaven playing a harp. Because that's nice. I mean, okay, but you know, I'm, I don't really care too much for harp music. But if my eternity looks like I'm going to see God kick the devil's rear end for what the devil put me through, <laughs> and I'm going to get back everything the devil stole from me, and I'm going to get back that miscarried baby, I'm going to get back that little brother that died too young, that's a whole lot more look to look forward to. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to run a lap through here at this moment. Because to me, that is great news. And it's not even just about me. It's about all of us. That he's going to restore. He's going to redeem. That's good news. How many want even better news? Want some better news? Listen to this. While we wait for that restoration to come, we right now can experience times of refreshment from God. Because watch what Peter says again. Remember, he's just healed the lame man at the gate. And he says, repent of your sins, turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord until the time of the final restoration of all things. He just healed somebody and he says, Peter, on that one day, all of God's people, he says, will be healed. All of us who experience sickness and suffering will experience a great restoration. But in the meantime, in the in-between, God sends us times of refreshing that show us what God's kingdom really is like and what it's really all about. So while we wait for God to make it all right, God gives us these signs, these glimpses, these moments, these encounters with him that give Give us an image and a peek into what new creation is going to be like. So here's a quotation I read this week from a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright. He said, there is coming a time when God will restore all things. And though that final day will be truly wonderful, it can be anticipated with times of refreshment in the present. When we turn away from that life and that path that's leading us away from Jesus, following the world's way, following sin, following culture around us, when we choose to turn from our personal sin and that, that stream that's leading us away from God, God promises that times of refreshment will come to us. And it's almost like it's a cash advance in full anticipation of what God has already fully prepared when God answers a prayer, that's just an advanced taste of all the good things waiting for us in eternity. When God does a healing miracle in your body, that's just an appetizer of what God's going to do in new creation and how you're going to feel in new creation. When you experience joy in worship and in the presence of the Lord, that's a time of refreshing for you. And it's just a foretaste of what it's going to be like when we all gather around the front throne and worship him 
When you experience family and friendship through the fellowship of a local church with other believers, when you sit around the table and share a meal and you feel like you belong and you feel like this is home, that's just a foretaste of what it's going to be like when one day we all sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we celebrate everything that God has done in our lives. We have a restoration waiting, but he has times of refreshment for us in the meantime. So this is what we're going to do right now before we go any further. I believe that I was, as I was praying for you this week, that God brought some folks here this morning that you have a very basic need. You've been feeling run down. You've been feeling weary. Been, you maybe felt discouraged. Maybe it's been a tough week this week. And you're hearing me talk about how one day God's going to restore everything. And you're like, that's great news, Pastor. I can't wait for that day. But I could really use some refreshment right now. So this is what we're going to do. And I don't want you to be embarrassed. But if that's you, if I'm talking to you right now, Pastor, I'm, it's been a rough week. I'm hurting. I'm tired. I don't feel good. Things going on at home. Loved ones are sick. Whatever it might be. I just want you right now, I want you to stand up and just make your way to one of the aisles not going to embarrass you. Just a time of refreshment. Yeah. Yeah. Just make your way to an aisle right now. Right now. Just go right to an aisle. Anyone else? This is, don't miss your opportunity. I just want some saints to gather around these folks and begin to pray. And we're going to pray for a time of refreshment on everyone that just stood up. Anybody else? Just come on up. Would y'all stand? Let's come pray for folks. It's altar time. Midway through the sermon, altar time. Right in the aisle. We're going to pray for a time of refreshing. There's a great restoration coming, but in the meantime, God's going to bring refreshment to your life. Come on, church, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. I know this is different to stop in the middle of a sermon, but let's pray for times of refreshing in the lives of people. Pray out loud. Pray the heavens down over this person that you're praying for. Jesus, we pray right now that you would come and you would bring times of refreshing. You would heal what needs to be healed. Lord, that you would restore what's been stolen. Lord, that you would restore what's going on. God, that you would bring rest, that you would bring peace into their hearts. In Jesus' name, you promise one day you're going to make it all right. But in the meantime, God, we need help right now. And you've promised these times of refreshing. And so, Lord, refresh faith in Jesus' name. Refresh, uh, refresh peace in Jesus' name. Bring peace to hearts that are at war right now in Jesus' name. Bring relief to bodies that are in pain right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray, God, for times of refreshing and restoration. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're praying right now for, for pain to leave in Jesus' name. We're praying right now for that broken heart to be mended in Jesus' name. We're praying right now for that, uh, that issue to be resolved in Jesus' name. We're praying for a miracle right now in Jesus' name. For that relationship at work to be restored and to be healed. Right now we're praying for that. For that marriage issue that's going on, we pray for total restoration right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, times of refreshing for your people. Your presence is here. Your presence is here. Touch your people, Lord, and bring refreshment. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Revive us and refresh us, King Jesus. 
Lord, we look forward to eternity, but we know you're not just a God of over yonder, but you're a God of the here and now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The second great eternal promise in Scripture is the promise of resurrection. As Christians, we believe what the Bible says about Jesus' resurrection three days after his crucifixion. Amen? Jesus was literally raised from the dead. But did you know that the Bible says more about resurrection than simply Jesus being resurrected. In fact, Paul calls Jesus in Colossians 1.18, he says that he is the firstborn from the dead. And our second text today in 1 Corinthians 15 that I read earlier, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church telling them exactly what it means for us that Jesus not only died, but that he was resurrected from the dead. And this is a truth that all of the early Christians held and believed. They taught and believed that not only had Jesus been literally resurrected from the dead, but that one day all of God's people would be resurrected in a physical, bodily resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, look at what Peter or Paul says. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Verse 22, just as everyone dies because we belong to Adam, in other words, we have all are, have sinned like Adam sinned, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest, and all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. Then verse 51, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised forever, and we who are living will be transformed. For from our dying bodies must be transformed into those that will never die. Our mortal bodies be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled, death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Death, where is your victory? And death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sins its power. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory over sin and over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's worth shouting about. This is the great promise of Christian hope. For us, listen, the grave is not final. When you took grandma or when you took daddy and they put him in the ground, they said it was his final resting place, but it's not. That's not where he's going to spend eternity. 
The grave is not final. For us, death is not eternal. That even if and when we die, we will experience a final resurrection with a glorified body where we will live eternally in God's restored and renewed creation. See, here's what you need to know about Jesus' death. Jesus was not just simply resuscitated back to life. Like when you do CPR, they shock your heart back into rhythm. He wasn't just resuscitated. Instead, Jesus went through death and came out the other side into something new. He not only just came back to life, he found the way out of death. He found the way out. He, he was raised to some kind of new glorified life. That's why he, when he was resurrected, he looked familiar, but he looked different. And they didn't quite recognize him at first, but then when it hit him who he was, it was like, yeah, that's Jesus. Because there was something glorious about what happened. It wasn't just the body the same way it was when it died. It was that body, but it was better. It was restored. It was glorified. It was the way God intended it to be. And so now there's a way out of the grave and into this new kind of resurrection life. And if you and I are in Christ, we will experience exactly that same kind of resurrection when he comes. Now, in the coming weeks, I'll preach about and I'll teach you about some of the things the Bible says about where do people go when they die, but before the last resurrection? And that's the whole question. What about hell? What's new creation really look like? We're going to talk about all those things. But a thing that I want you to be, have seared in your mind this morning is this scriptural truth. God is going to restore everything that sin and Satan and death have ever taken from you. And, and God has already conquered death. And if you are in Christ, death is no longer a threat to your life because he's already kicked out the grave at both ends. And for us, a future resurrection awaits us in God's new creation. This is why for centuries when men and women of God have been persecuted for their faith, even under the threat of sword or gunpoint or spear or hanging on a cross or thrown to lions, they didn't flinch. Because they said, you can kill this body if you want to. But whatever you do to my body is not the end. This is why, I don't know if y'all remember this a few years back in Africa, where uh, there, there were those Coptic Christians from Egypt that um, had been kidnapped by ISIS, and they took them out in the desert, put bags over their heads. I don't know if y'all remember that, but it was all over the news. I mean, they had video of it. They, ISIS bragged about it. They killed all of them. It was pretty graphic. All they would have had to do to be spared was to recant their faith in Jesus. And they wouldn't have killed him. It was something like 12 or 15 people out, out there and videoed the whole thing. But those faithful saints said, you can cut this head off if you want to, but my Jesus is going to put it back on. He's going to raise this body back to life. What you do to my body is not a threat to me. This is why you can meet those believers 
they get the bad diagnosis. Man, they're still in here worshiping Jesus. They're still lifting up Jesus. They're still praising God. They're still their faith isn't shaken because their faith is sickness and cancer can do whatever it wants to do to this body. It's not the end. It's not the end. It's so much better what we have to look forward to than getting a set of wings and floating around heaven someday. What we have to look forward to is what happened to Jesus on Easter Sunday. Where his life, life came back into that body. And it was, it was the same body, but it was so different that it could never again be destroyed. Could never again experience pain or sickness. And he's still alive today. And that body is still with the Lord today. And in one of these days, he's going to split that eastern sky. And we're going to see him come. And if they've already put me in the ground, I'm getting up. And you are too. So here's the final altar call today for the believer. If you're already in Christ, if you already have that faith and that hope, maybe your ideas about eternity got a little shaken up today, but I want you to know this. Because you're in Christ, not only do you have eternity to look forward to, but God wants to use you to take his restoration and his resurrected life to the world around you. That's why it matters what we do now, because what we do now is going to be a part of what God is going to do in the new heavens and the new earth. Why do we care about this community? Because this community God wants to restore and resurrect. Why do we care about about unreached people groups who've never heard the name of Jesus because God wants to use us to be a part of how he's expanding his kingdom and how he's going to restore this world. And the Bible even says this, and I just can't even comprehend it, but Paul says, don't you know that one day you're going to rule over angels? That you and I are going to rule and reign with him, just like Adam ruled and reigned with God for all of eternity over his, this restored creation. And you know, we live in a beautiful world. I don't know if you've done much traveling, but you go out west and you see the mountains. You go to other parts of the world and you see the great nature and beauty all around us. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's after sin's corrupted it that it looks like that. Imagine what it's going to be like when he puts it all back together the way it was at the beginning. Before sin ever messed anything up, before sickness ever came, before death ever came. We get to live and experience that. And if you're in Christ, you get to be a part of what God is doing. That's why we tell people about him. It's not just, hey, I don't want you to go to hell when you die. I don't want you to go to hell. But there's so much more than just fire insurance to this thing called salvation. There is eternity. That's why you can go to someone that's broken, someone that's strung out, somebody that's made bad decision after bad decision, someone that's been beaten up and, and by life. And you can say, you know what? I can preach Jesus to you. And they can say, well, I, you know, well, yeah, heaven's great one day, but I need help right now. And you'd be like, yep, exactly right. Because God's going to restore everything if you'll turn to him. And if you're not a believer today, if you've not made that commitment to follow Jesus, you can make the claim today to these two great promises. 
He says, repent, turn toward Jesus, and times of refreshment will come until the time of that final restoration and resurrection. You can have that claim to those promises today. I want you to stand with me this morning.